I think as everything changed, I think people had to have had sort of two insights, right? One insight is the world changes more rapidly than I even thought that it could. And then the second thing is I, as an individual, as a human, I was able to adapt more quickly than I thought that I might have been able to. And that sort of plasticity that we've discovered in the world and in ourselves, I hope, has allowed everybody to think of a sort of positive outcome from this pandemic, which is it allows people to be more imaginative about what the future might look like. And that should have implications for the way that we work and for the way that we run our families, have our family life and our personal life. But it certainly has implications for the way that we think about technology and what technology we choose, uh, what we think that technology, how long we think we'll use that technology and the rigidity or sort of plasticity that we expect from the technology. Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswit, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. I am delighted today to be speaking with Eric Lachlan. Uh, Eric is the CEO of Agiloft. Uh, Eric, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know you're on the West Coast, so I hope um, you're not too badly affected by the fires and smoke. It's not too bad today. Thanks for asking. Let, let's start at what is Agiloft. And my knowledge is extremely limited. So please uh, treat it as that. As I understand it, it's a no-code contract and commerce lifecycle management platform. Explain to us what that means and how you came to be at Agiloft. Sure. Uh, I can start with my own path towards Agiloft. So I've been in the legal world for my entire career, but I'm not a lawyer. So I've uh, spent most of my career in businesses that help lawyers either think or, or act more like you know business professionals, whether that's with providing them with software tools and, and metrics, metric-driven actions, or providing them with alternative uh, modes of, of talent through an alternative legal service provider. I suppose I spent most of my career at Thomson Reuters, and then most recently, a, a small stint at EY. The last part of my journey at Thomson Reuters included leading the Pangea 3 team, which I think your viewers or listeners probably know is a legal process outsourcing, one of the original LPOs, and since transformed into an alternative legal service provider, EY bought Pangea 3 and, and brought it over to form the basis of their legal managed services team along with Riverview Law. So I led that team until joining Agiloft. So awesome. but you asked, what is Agiloft? Maybe we can go there next. Uh, yeah. you know, Agiloft is, you got it right. We're a contract lifecycle management software provider. I think there are quite a few CLM providers in the space. And so it's helpful to think about 
that category generally, CLM providers, if they're providing an end-to-end -end experience for their customers, like Agileoft, provide everything from pre-execution, things like helping to negotiate, uh, draft, and approve contracts, to having a repository for those contracts and the data that sits within them, like helping to manage obligations and help customers with things like reducing revenue leakage and really taking advantage of everything that's in their contracts. It really is about taking uh, stock of your contracts and starting to think of them as assets, not just documents. Yeah. Uh, so if you have an asset, you need to know what everything you can about that asset and, and take full advantage of that asset. Uh, so that's what you know, Agileoft helps customers with. It's built on a no-code platform, which we can dig into whenever we'll, you like. We'll get into that in a second, yeah. yeah. And as I was researching ahead of this, uh, this conversation, a couple of things struck out. One, Agileoft has been around since 1991, uh, which is amazing. Uh, a huge mm -hmm. respect to any business that's been around for a decade or more. And second, it started off as a, a software company, not that it's not now, but it was in legal tech. And we tend mm -hmm. to just apply the legal prefix to almost any technology these days, and that yeah. helps with the legal profession. So I assume that means that the potential use case for CLM technology is even more widespread than just what a law firm may need to do or a legal service provider right. may need to do. So it, tell me a little bit more about that journey. And as I understand, it's, it's both suitable for the buyer side of things as well as the seller side. Um, yeah. Why would, and we can link this into no code, how that works, but why would I want to use this over whatever the alternative way of working may be? Yeah. yeah, let's start with some of the history of the company, which I think is pretty interesting. I, I've only been the CEO of Agileoft for a few months now, but the company is, as you said, is, is well over a decade old. The sort of modern version of Agileoft, the company, is, is over a decade old. And the idea that the founders had when they started Agileoft and built this platform was really around enterprise software. The key idea was, let's build an enterprise software platform that doesn't have the pitfalls of traditional enterprise software. And the main idea was that most enterprise software fails either to be implemented well or to gain user adoption. And so the best way to make sure that didn't occur was to build a no-code platform that could be easily implemented and easily adapted. And so I think that was the sort of founding idea of the company. And what emerged from that was a essentially a BPM platform, business process management platform, which evolved into a platform that hosted a end-to-end -end capability around CLM. And so CLM was really a use case that came after a platform. And that's why it didn't start as a legal tech company. It started as an enterprise software company and, and now we call it legal tech. But I think to your point, and I think it's a great one, I think if you're sitting in a law firm or if you're sitting in legal ops, you might be thinking, what are my legal tech options? You certainly should be thinking, what are my technology options, not what are my legal tech options? And especially in something like contracts where there are many people outside of the legal department who have their hands in contracts every day, whether it's the procurement department or it's sales operations, those are either your partners in the law firm or they're working in parallel with you on different contracts. That's why you know, one of the reasons I think Agileoft brings a unique perspective to legal tech is because it didn't start as legal tech. And I think that there's a Again, we keep dancing around this idea of no-code platform. Well, but yeah, yeah, let's go there now because it's interesting. Yeah. If, if I were designing software in 1991 or even early 2000s, yeah. 
And if I went and told someone I'm creating enterprise software, there would be a specific image that would come to the the other party's mind. Yeah. And it would not involve the word no code. No code. I don't even think that word existed at that point, honestly. Yeah. And you and I were talking briefly before that, and I mentioned that no code is certainly quite widespread generally in the world of tech. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sites is Product Hunt. And mm-hmm. as I scroll plentifully on there, I see lots of no-code options. Most, a lot of them are consumer tech, certainly yeah. B2B softwares too. So what's the decision behind no-code? And then what sets Agiloft apart from other no-code providers, whether in this space or generally? Yeah, it's a great sort of angle for us to go down. I think the way that Agiloft thinks of no-code platform and the way that the, our platform you know, comes to life is that it's a robust set of capabilities under the hood but once you come to the sort of client and determine what the software needs to look like for that client, everything that we need to do to configure that software, even for the most complex use cases in the, in the largest companies in the world, all of that configuration can happen within the browser. You do not need to be a developer. You do not need to know how to write a single line of code in order to make this software work for the largest companies of the world. So that has a lot of implications. I think protecting from the downside is one of them, right? So if you have an enterprise software that needs to be custom coded to fit into a large corporation, that can be powerful. And that certainly is a valid approach, but it does run a a significant risk of becoming brittle and stale over time. And I think when you acknowledge the path that everyone's on in their contracts journeys, which I would say most law firms and legal departments are still getting going on that journey of, of modernizing the way they work with contracts. That's that having a brittle sort of custom coded solution is might be fine now, but might really hurt you down the road. So I think protecting from that downside was is certainly one of the benefits of, of no code. I think the other thing that's, that's pretty interesting about a no code approach is as a law firm, as a legal operations department, that what's important when you're talking to your clients is that you not only understand the mechanics, but you understand the actual goal of what's going on. And if because Agileoft or any no-code platform uh, doesn't require developers to configure, that means you can spend a lot more time with business analysts and process experts and people that can help the client think through Uh, the process that they're trying to enable through the technology rather than just think about how you're going to code that process. And so there's just a a bandwidth flip more towards helping the client with process than thinking about how to configure the platform. And I think that has immense benefit. And actually, that's a great point. And one I I never thought of before because you're not outsourcing the work to someone and say, get me X results. You have to, by design, think about what you want to achieve. You have to think about the questions that you need Mm -hmm. to be able to answer and the problems that you're solving. And therefore, and it might take a bit longer to get to where you want to get to uh, because even if it's no code, I'm sure there is a learning curve as with everything else. Um, You'll get to ideally something where you not only get the software solution, but you also get a practical business solution as well. Yeah. Some people, when they talk about no code platforms, use this imagery of Lego set. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're much more able to think about what you want to build and the, maybe even the color palette that you would build yeah. it in and build that thing. And then if it doesn't look right, it's pretty easy to take a couple pieces off and put them in a different place. Right. And that's something that just becomes easier with a no code platform. And I think that's true on, on sort of day one or the sort of implementation time 
it's even more important on you year two and three when you realize that your business changed. Maybe you made an acquisition. Maybe you decide you decided to enter a new business that has a completely different way of contracting. Anything can happen that can change the way you think about the the data that's in your contracts or the process you use to get to the, to that contract. And all of that flexibility is really important. And I think it's just amplified, it amplifies the sort of need for a no-code approach. We didn't, we haven't gotten into it yet, but I think one of the very interesting things that's happened recently, of course, as everyone has entered the virtual world of working from home and thinking about how to do things differently in a pandemic world, it makes people think about how rapidly the world can change. I think as everything changed, I think people had to have had sort of two insights, right? One insight is the world changes more rapidly than I even thought that it could. And then the second thing is I, as an individual, as a human, I was able to adapt more quickly than I thought that I might've been able to. And that sort of plasticity that we've discovered in the world and in ourselves, I hope has allowed everybody to think of a sort of positive outcome from this pandemic, which is it allows people to be more imaginative Mm -hmm. about what the future might look like. And that should have implications for the way that we work and for the way that we run our families, have our family life and our personal Mm -hmm. lives. But it certainly has implications for the way that we think about technology and what technology we choose, uh, what we think that technology, how long we think we'll use that technology and the rigidity or sort of plasticity that we expect from that technology. Yeah. And how have you seen that with folks that you're working with today? Because I think there's plenty of hypotheses and it differs quite a lot, not just from region to region, but certainly within sector as well. And especially as a new CEO, I'm sure you'll likely be doing a lot of listening at the stage. What, What are you hearing? Well, maybe one of the first experiences I had with this was during our fundraising. So we just raised a round of funding. And the first thing that I did as the CEO starting in April, May was to go out and get this this round. And most of the first conversations I had with investors, because it was early in the pandemic, started with, we haven't done an investment yet in the pandemic, and it'll be interesting to do this over Zoom. Fast forward a month or two later, we weren't having those conversations anymore. Everyone was just doing it. And you got to know people through through the video chat. And I think, frankly, I think it has the it had the uh, benefit of just bringing people to closer together very quickly because you could spend so much more time together in person on video chat. So that was that hit home for me really quickly that the people were able to adapt and just started working in the in the new way. From a you know customer perspective, I think the new this new sort of you know flexibility that we have. I think is interesting because I think you, the, the thing that draws people towards contract lifecycle management and contract software is often this idea that they either aren't taking advantage of the document assets that they have, or that maybe more negative posture, I don't even know what's in the documents that I have. And certainly that second one came to light very quickly when the pandemic hit and everybody thought, What's my exposure to non-essential businesses that might go under or what obligations might not, I might not be able to make? I wish I knew the answers to those more quickly. And that focused the world on contracts really quickly. I think the, interest, the other way to think about it, maybe in a more positive light, is if you start to feel more imaginative about the future and what you might do differently, it's helpful to know where you're coming from. It's helpful to have a base from which to move into the future. And that base is often 
a knowledge of your contracts or a knowledge of your process, a knowledge of what people are touching contracts. And so really getting your hands around that base now I think gives you like a really nice push off point for that and for imagining the future. And I, I hope that to me, that's the positive thing that's, that's coming out of this. It certainly is good for our business because I think it attracts people to what we're trying to do, but it enables them to think differently about, about a lot of things for your law firm listeners or for anyone out there who's thinking about who touches their contracts and in what process you might be used to having some contracts stay in house and some go to your law firms and, and maybe you couldn't imagine outsourcing to an alternative legal service provider before, maybe you, now you can. Almost anything is possible. And, and if you have the technology platform and now the sort of imagination to, to see what that would look like, you can do those things. Um, and, I, and I think this also allows, having the platform there allows you to be able to actually map exactly who's touching that. So you can identify what the steps are, where you right. may want to eventually explore different options or where the bottlenecks tend to be that to me. That's again. right. But, no, it, it, that's absolutely right. So when you think about the, the bottlenecks or maybe just even the, the people that are yeah. better or worse at negotiating certain things or moving things quickly, yeah. if one of your fears about having a new model of sourcing was that it feels a little bit like a black box. Now you have visibility into that. So there's no black box, right? There's actually more information about who's touching it, when, for how long, what the throughput is. So you really can take a little bit more of a manufacturing based stance towards, yeah. towards contracts. Oh, for sure. And I think as law firms and legal ops teams and so on become well, legal ops teams become a widespread within law firms and certainly in house as well. And they start bringing things like six Sigma into the process. It starts becoming truly agile, not just <laughs> saying that they're agile. Yeah. Um, I think these things will become even more important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Agility is everything. I think it's even in our name. That's the <laughs> agile software was the idea behind agile off. So you mentioned that you raised you raised a round earlier, and of course yep. it's just a small round of forty five million dollars, forty five million dollars US. And Agiloft, as I understand it, it was a profitable company before the fund right. was raised. Talk a little bit about why you decided, or why the companies that decided to raise mm-hmm. the fund. And I'm curious more about well, exploring two angles: what this means for you as a business, as a company. What are you going to do with all this money? And two. As someone who is not familiar with fundraising, if they were listening and they don't know yeah. why you go to a PE versus a VC or some, some mm-hmm. other option, yeah. what does this mean for the market? Yeah, let's dig in. So first, why did we even go there? Yeah. So it, as you mentioned, this is, is bootstrapped. Agile has been a bootstrapped, profitable and growing company for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, I think what changed over the last few years was number one, the demand for CLM just picked up in, a, in an entirely new way. Uh, and so I think that became clear. And uh, it also became clear that Agileoft as a platform was actually very well suited for large organizations. Mm-hmm. And so a, a sort of combination of an increase in demand and a desire to have to meet more sophisticated customers where they were just required more investment. And so I think th- those ideas led us to go seek outside funding and just put more money on the table so we could meet that demand and and grow to those more sophisticated customers. I think when we went outside to look for funding, there's lots of options, right? So you could go to a PE fund, you could go to a VC, you could go to what we ended up going to FTV, which is a growth equity fund, uh, which sits somewhere in between, in between that VC and PE land. I think we thought that VC money was not the right way for us to go just because we were 
we're not a startup in our first days that is pre, we're not pre-revenue. We're not, we don't need a boatload of money to go run as fast as we can and see if it works. We know what's working and we, we want to, we want to work with a, a funder that expects for almost all of their investments to work out and that they're nurturing growth in the business. Uh, they're not throwing money at an idea. And so that type of investor is either in the PE world or in this growth equity world. My personal bias may be coming out here, but there's a lot of PE funds that are, are really oriented towards very bottom line oriented and very cash oriented. And we just needed to have a partner that was more growth oriented than bottom line focused at this time. And so there are, are many PE funds where that just didn't fit uh, correctly and growth equity made more sense for us. So I think that sort of in-between zone that we're in just worked for the growth equity uh, side of the world. When it's a big responsibility to get a big check. <laughs> there must be something good to do with that money. And, and there yeah. is. If you look at the contracts market, I think the studies say 15% of global corporations have an enterprise-wide CLM tool installed and 85% say they will in the next three to four years. So there's a, wow. this huge amount of buying activity. And when you listen to a Gartner analyst, what they will tell you is that they get inquiries for, for, for technology, people asking them for advice on what right. technology to buy. And the number one inquiry they've gotten over the last year has been CLM technology. And it's not the number one legal inquiry, it's the number one enterprise software inquiry. Right. Uh, so there's just a, a, lot of, a lot of demand. So the market is, is big. And so as a company of an Agiloft's position, which is that we're very highly rated by the analysts, we're in the Gardner Magic Quadrant and the Leader Quadrant, leading all of the sort of critical capabilities. So we're in this spot where we have a great platform that is being recognized. We have 600 customers that would speak for us, uh, but we really need to bring that message uh, you know, to a wider audience quickly. Uh, and so we're going to invest in two things really, which is the platform itself and the experience that we can you know, bring to the customers and our go-to-market presence. So more salespeople in more places that can meet people you know, locally where they sit, not just in the US and Europe and then in Asia. And then on the platform side, we have an end-to-end -end CLM solution, but there's always more to do. And there's, right. there's really two flavors to that for me. Flavor number one is when you think about the AI uh, tech that everyone has in CLM now, and it's a great use case, or I should say there are many great use cases for AI within CLM. For us, we have a great sort of AI core, but we need it to show up in more places in the mm -hmm. platform so that people can get more insight in different places, right? It's not just about contract ingestion or sort right. of metadata extraction. It should be about insight in lots of places in the platform. So we'll certainly be putting money into the platform in that way. The other sort of longer term thing, and you started by saying that Agileoft is a contract and commerce lifecycle management tool. The idea behind that is that contracts are, you know, the instruction manual, if you will, for the entire company, they hold, right. they hold all of the instructions for the commercial arrangements you have. And so having a contracts software tool means that you should quickly be thinking about what other pieces of automation do I want to bolt onto this, either in forming the contract or in executing the contract. Right. And because we're a no-code platform that can rapidly build these applications, we'll certainly be building beyond CLM in those ways that our customers are, are looking for. Sure. So we're hopeful that all of these things help the clients we're serving either by being closer to them or, or being able to serve more of their needs. Cool. So th there's a, a fair amount to unpack there. Yeah. Let me tackle a couple of points uh, at a time. So the, the, the funding round, yeah. if you don't mind me asking, how long did that take? You said you started just as you know, COVID was becoming 
a real thing, at yep. least in the U.S. Yeah. I would say we started in April and we closed in July. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. Pretty quick round. Yeah. And does that mean, and the focus areas make absolute sense, right? You product and go to market. Does that mean that you become more focused as well? Because at the moment, it's an enterprise solution, as I understand it again, is one of the goals to start segmenting further to say, great, let's go into this vertical or something, something like that? Or It's a great question. So we have a lot of strength in some certain verticals. We have a lot of pharma, biotech, and healthcare companies. So that's just a natural strength for us. Right. And so certainly we'll be pushing um, to grow that community because I think when you have a group of companies all doing the same thing, their contracts departments can learn a lot from each other. And so there's both as a business growing that part of the sector and uh, allowing that community to thrive in sharing information. The other thing that I think is really interesting and, and perhaps for your audience, the most interesting is how do we set ourselves up and start partnering with law firms and with alternative legal service providers and anyone in the space to allow them to benefit from that and have their clients benefit from it. Yeah. Uh, so we're in a number of discussions right now. Some of our larger partners are starting to think about how do they deploy this on behalf of their yeah. clients. And, it, and I think back to our discussion earlier, but just about how quickly things are changing for all of those law firms who are on the cusp of new commercial models and thinking and, and thinking about how they serve clients in different ways, uh, certainly I'm very open to those conversations. Yeah. And I think those are pretty interesting conversations for us to have about how to use a technology platform for your clients rather than for your firm itself. Yeah. And given your background, um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I won't speculate too much into where this might go, but yeah, for sure. I think that seems interesting because obviously... Yeah. If you've been around for a while and you own a certain percentage of the market, you want to develop the product further so you can grow the pie or you go and find other pies somewhere. That analogy falls apart there. But, and then we, we talked about, so is, we talked about being able to prototype and one of the things that's frequently associated with no code is the ability to rapidly prototype a solution. How, and I'm imagining, considering that you're a leader in the Gartner quadrant, that there are other players in the market. You're not just the only one. What's really the key differentiator for you guys? If I'm looking at no-code platforms, why would I even look at you versus someone else? And considering there's hundreds generally yeah. no-code platforms. Yeah, there's, if you're looking at no-code platforms generally, you can look across a lot of different folks, but generally they wouldn't have a lot of the sort of CLM-specific features that really Correct. are required. Your listeners will be... So we become know, focused with, to CLM, no-code. You need to have CLM features on top of a no-code sure. platform for it to really work. Anything from sort of document automation to the redlining features that right, right. we're going to take for granted will be there, won't be there with just a general no-code platform. Uh, I think within the CLM space, Agile does actually does stand out as a no-code platform. Um, if you look at the rest of the Gardner Magic Quadrant, that's not how they're positioned and it certainly isn't how they're built. So it is something that when we go into, into a opportunity, we're certainly positioning ourselves in that way because we think from a lifetime value uh, of a technology implementation, yeah. you have to think about what it's going to take to correct your mistakes and to continue to evolve. So I think we do think that is a major differentiator for us. I, I think the there's a lot of talk around all of, it was talk and action around AI within every platform. And so I don't mean to say it's just talk because in CLM, people every day are using machine learning capabilities on behalf of their clients. I think the approach that we have taken there is a little bit different than everyone else's, which is instead of 
being determined to build our own algorithms and, and using our own home-built AI, we're tapping into Google and Amazon's you know, right. services because we strongly believe that if you have thousands of PhDs working on those, they're going to rapidly develop faster than we would be able to, or our clients would be able to, I'm sorry, or our competitors would be able to. Standing on the shoulders of giants, it's a good idea usually. So we're going to do that. And I think what's important for us is how do you how do you train those algorithms, obviously, and how do you make them appear in a sort of natural way within a platform? Oh, for sure. You're not going to be able to match the compute power of Google or Amazon yeah. or Microsoft, yeah. you know, whichever way you end up going. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, we'll table the AI discussion for another day because it will certainly yep. take us into a very lengthy <laughs> and messy segment, I'm sure. So I'm conscious of your time. The, the last thing I wanted to touch on, so you, you said you've only been a CEO for a couple of months at Agileoft. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your experience as being a leader in this company. What was that? What was the, I guess, the onboarding like, uh, for lack of a better word, especially considering uh, the time period that we're in and the environment we're in? And what's your focus now for the next, let's say, until the end of the year? So we're speaking in early October now. Yeah. Onboarding certainly interesting. This is it's all everyone's career is a personal journey, and and it's interesting to you know hear that story from everyone. I think what made my personal journey into Agileoft most interesting was the relationship that I have with the founders, Colin and Bridget, where in a very amazing way they were able to say to themselves and to me, this next part of our journey is something that we want someone else to to lead. And in that way, it's a very different entrance than a new CEO being put on top of a company by an outside investor. And it also gave me the ability to work inside the company for a few months before I was formally announced as the CEO. So I got a chance to get to know the team and really understand and build trust and trust both ways with the team before being announced as the CEO. So that was great. As a external facing CEO, what's been really nice is to come in at the same time as an investment round where I can actually talk to customers and have some positive news to tell them as I introduce myself. And it's helped me to, I think, have more of a imaginative approach to the future with those clients, given the, the resources that we now have. Yeah. That's pretty fun. And how, what's been the, you know, how did your team, uh, not just a direct team, but the wider company, because you were like 600 or so people employees. So actually, did... we're smaller. We're, oh, we're about 100. Yeah, we're about 150. We have about oh. 600 clients. Yeah, uh, 600 clients. Okay, my yeah. bad. Um, yeah, so how did, and actually, that's even more important then, because much smaller team. How did that, how did the team cohesion change? Yeah, well, I guess I would first tell you that the best person to ask about that is probably not me, because I've got my own view. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but I will tell you that, so from my perspective, um, coming into the company at the same time as the investors is interesting because I think it was a team that was ready to make a lot of changes. And every conversation that I had with, with the leaders or, or anyone on the team, I think there was a lot of recognition of, oh, we need to be in this market and, oh, we need to have this sort of discipline more dialed in. And now we have these capabilities and I'm glad you're here to do that. So there was that. I think the... For me, just on a personal level, I've loved connecting with our employees. And I think the, the Zoom experience of connecting, for me, it just it really shrinks the distance between, between people, right? I don't have to be on a plane traveling everywhere. And, and our team is virtual, right? We've been a virtual company for years. So it wasn't new for COVID. So it's a team that was built on a virtual culture. And so there's this you know, immediacy of, I'm just a few inches from my teammate, wherever they are, yeah. whatever job they have. I've really appreciated that. And it's been a really good way to get to know the team. 
Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And I think I feel the same way. It's a very effective way of scaling networking because you cut mm-hmm. out so much of the travel time otherwise. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, that's my, awesome. my kids appreciate it. My family appreciates it. <laughs> yeah, appreciate I bet. It. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, Eric. Um, if people want to find out a bit more about um, Agiloft, um, where should they go? Agiloft.com. We've yeah. got plenty of case studies and interesting things for you to, to read through or just reach out to me personally. I'm available. All awesome. And yeah, out. I'll attach your LinkedIn details yep. so people can find it in the show notes. Great. Thanks so much. I'll certainly be tracking your progress further and yeah, seeing what fun you get up to with, uh, with a huge investment behind you and yep. I look forward to speak to you again in the future. Very good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Priti Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thanks.